First Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right. Hey, well, good morning uh, again, FBC, and just welcome to our online worship service. So glad that you are here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors, and just I'm so glad that you are with us and want to invite you to turn or scroll uh, with me to the book of First Peter, chapter 2. That's where we're going to be spending a little bit of time together this morning before we kick off our new sermon series next week. So uh, find First Peter, chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we love you and we are grateful for the gift of uh, time with you in worship. And thank you, Lord, for your word that you have made yourself known to us, that you speak to us, that you have revealed uh, yourself and your heart to, to us and to the world through the scriptures. And so we pray, Lord, for your help. Would you give us discernment and uh, open eyes to see what you have for us this morning in First Peter chapter 2? Would you teach us uh, by your spirit? We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in America, so much of our worth and our identity comes from what we do, right? We often define success by what we produce or what we achieve or what we create. And this is why many people, uh, maybe upon retirement or upon losing a job, have such a difficult time because then that question comes in, well, who am I now, right? Now that I'm not a, an executive or now that I'm not a, a teacher or now that I'm not a boss, uh, who am I or who am I now that, you know, my kids have grown up and are no longer in the house and I don't have those normal uh, rhythms of being a parent that I used to? Who am I now? So much of our identity is tied to what we do. And this is true often, unfortunately, in the church, right? That assumption comes to us as Christians, because we place an emphasis on action and mission and outreach. And sometimes people think, well, a successful church is a busy church, or a successful Christian is a busy Christian that's, that's doing a lot, because we're defined by what we do. Now, of course, there's plenty that we're supposed to do, and in the church it's okay to talk about what we are to do as believers. In fact, next week again, we're launching a sermon series called Go Where You Are, a series that's calling us to go and join God in the work he's doing in the world. Go is a verb. That's an action word about doing things. So it's not bad to talk about what we're supposed to go and do, but before we talk about what we're supposed to go and do, we need to remember who we are. Because who we are, our identity, is more foundational than what we do. And so we need to remember who we are this morning before we jump in to what we're supposed to go and do. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 together, uh, specifically verses 9 and 10. Maybe you remember this text from a couple years ago in 2019. We preached through the book of 1 Peter, and so we were here in chapter 2. Uh, here, Peter is basically saying, 
uh, drawing this contrast between those who reject Jesus and do not believe the gospel and do not obey God uh, and people who are believers or who follow Jesus and who embrace him. And he's saying in verse 9, look how he starts. He says, but you. Right? There's this, this contrast. Hey, there's going to be people who reject Jesus. That that's, should not be a surprise to us. But, but you, uh, for you who follow him, those of you that are a part of his church, here is who you are. And he unpacks their identity in these Incredibly powerful way. Look at his words. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter, writing in the first century, doesn't want the church, his audience, to lose a sense of who they are. So just remember who you are. And he gives this list of statements uh, to describe them that are really rich in Old Testament connections. Okay? Every one of these phrases, these descriptors, are used in the Old Testament to describe the people of God. Very corporate terms here. And so I want to just walk through them that Uh, to see how they remind us who we are as Christians. Verse 9, he says, But you, he starts with, you are a chosen people. And he begins by using the language of being chosen. Back in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he calls his audience elect exiles. You are the elect, the chosen people of God. The doctrine of election teaches that we do not belong to God by accident, Or that we simply put the pieces together and figure it out. But God first moved toward us. Salvation wasn't our idea in the first place. God called you. If you're following Jesus, God called you and invited you to follow him. So Peter said, hey, you are a chosen people. And I I hope we can see how incredibly liberating this truth is. We realize how God chooses. God chooses us in a way that's different from how we choose things, right? When, when human beings, when we choose things, normally it's because we see something and we desire it because it's lovely or because uh, it stands out above the rest and we say, I want that because it's beautiful or beneficial to me. Uh, when you pick a sports teams, right? Remember growing up, you'd like line everybody up for basketball and you'd have team captains, you take turns picking people, you would pick the best players first, right? Or when, you, when you're in the grocery store and you're, you're picking out fruit, like you look for the, the best pieces of fruit that are uh, the right texture and are not spoiled or rotten, you pick uh, the best. Or uh, proverbially speaking, you want the sharpest tool in the shed. But how does God choose? Is that how God chooses us and calls us? Think back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7. God is speaking to his people and he's telling them, hey, here's why I chose you. He says this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, 
goes on, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. Okay, we got to slow down here and, and grasp this. He says, it was not because you were more in number. So hey, Israel, I did not choose you because you were the biggest nation or the most deserving group of people, the strongest or the most beautiful. Actually, you were the fewest of all peoples. You, Israel, were the least likely to be picked by the team captain. But, what does this text say? But it is because the Lord loves you. You see how simple that is? How beautiful that is? It is because the Lord loves you. So God says to his people, I love you because I love you. I chose to love you. That's it. This is, this is incredible, friends. This is the most freeing kind of love. Because think about it, some of us are trying so hard to prove that we are lovely, to prove that we are worthy, to prove that we are valuable, and it's exhausting. But God looks at his people, and he says, I don't love you because of anything within you. I don't love you because you are so qualified to be loved or you earned it or you are so much better or wiser or stronger than other people. I don't love you because of your performance. I love you simply because I love you. So friend, friends, God loves us simply because he chose to love us and, and give himself to us. This is incredibly freeing. And this is actually, by the way, a picture of, of what marriage should look like, right? Or to love our spouse unconditionally, not, not because uh, they're funny or good-looking or whatever, because those things might change or their health might change or things might fade, but we love them because we've made this commitment to love them. And that frees us to truly be ourselves. And so Peter was saying, hey, this is true of the people of God in the Old Testament, and, and now it's true of you, church. Are you taking this Old Testament picture and applying it to followers of Jesus? For all who follow Jesus, you are a chosen people. This is echoed in verse 10. You see, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So friends, you are the people of God, and you have received the love of God. And here it says, the mercy of God. Which reminds us, of course, of the gospel message that we were dead in our sins, uh, deserving judgment, separation from God, hell. But God rescued us. And we received God's mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. So Jesus came to die for our sins on the cross, to take the judgment we deserve so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to the God who loves us. So when you are chosen people. He goes on. You're a chosen people. You, Christians, are a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood, this is kind of foreign language for us because we don't often today have an association with royalty or priests unless you watch The Crown on Netflix, then maybe you're getting acquainted with royalty. But those concepts, for the most part, are removed from our American modern experience. But in the first century and throughout much of the world, 
being royalty was a big deal, an immense honor. I mean, the majority of people would never experience the status or, or the privilege that came with that, right? It was something that you were born into. Okay? You couldn't earn it. And so it wasn't like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be royalty. Well, too bad. You don't have that choice. But we can think about, okay, if, if someone in your family, you know, became famous, or uh, became president, perhaps, then you would have this, this direct connection. You're part of that family, and so that meant something uh, for you. There would be this honor, this privilege, status that comes with that. And so Peter's saying, hey, you all serve the king. You belong to the family of King Jesus, and so you are royalty. And not just royalty, but royal priests. Right? Notice that. The priesthood is mentioned here. The priesthood in the Old Testament was a huge part of life for the Jews. Priests would enter the temple and the tabernacle in ways that uh, ordinary Jews could not. Priests offered sacrifices on the altar. Uh, The high priest alone was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelled. And so priests had this, yes, this unique responsibility, but also this unique privilege and access to God as they served him. And so, so notice again what Peter's doing. He, he's talking about this Old Testament role and privilege of being a priest and applying it to who? He applies it to the church. Right? He applies it to every believer. So he's not saying, hey, hey pastors or theologians, you guys are now the priests. No, he says, you Church, you all are a royal priesthood. And this speaks to the the doctrine of what's been known as the priesthood of all believers. A very significant truth that really, it really levels the playing field because it, it removes some of this hierarchy that we sometimes associate with religion, right? As a pastor, I see this a lot. People will essentially say to me, like, as a pastor, you have a more direct line to God. Right? I remember a couple of years ago, I might have shared this story. I was at a wedding, uh, doing a wedding up in Seattle, and uh, it was looking like rain was coming. It was the day before the wedding at the rehearsal dinner, and it looks like, ah, oh, there's rain on the forecast tomorrow. How is that going to change the wedding plans and affect everything that's going on that day? And someone, uh, maybe you've made a joke like this to a pastor before. Someone's like, hey, you can you uh, pray about this? You know, it seems like you have, you have the ear of the big guy upstairs, so make sure to be praying for like a dry day tomorrow. Wink, nudge, huh? And I was like, ha I've heard that one a lot. Um, but humor there that they were using. But I think there, there's a core of, of assumption that's true that people think, they look at clergy or pastors and they're like, well, you guys are, are you're closer to God. You have a more direct connection to him. He's going to listen to you in a way that he's not going to listen to me. But friends, that's not true. Right? Listen to what Peter says. You are a royal priesthood. You are all priests. If you are a Christian, you all have this access to God. You have the same access to God that your pastor does, that the, the professional Christians do, so to speak. We are a priesthood of believers. We all have, yes, this responsibility and uh, task to do that come with that, but we all have this, this privilege, access to God, being in his, his presence. Friends, so you are a royal priesthood. God will hear your voice. 
He continues, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Friends, to be holy means what? To be set apart, to be uh, pure, right? Separation, uh, purity. Uh, You as God's people, simply put, are to look different. You're supposed to live different. You're supposed to have a unique purpose. You're set apart for God. Okay, I've mentioned this before. Sometimes we misunderstand holiness, okay? And we think that holiness is either just like a negative thing, people who are, you know, condescending and holier than thou, or we we see holiness in an incomplete way, as if to be holy means like, well, that's someone who's super spiritual, right? And they pray, you know, in their closet uh, 12 hours a day, and they walk around just with this lofty air about them. We're like, wow, that that guy's really holy. My goodness, that guy is really serious. He's always in this like tranquil state of of meditation on God's word and prayer. But friends, that's not really the way the Bible talks about holiness. In fact, if we go back and look at the Old Testament law and the holiness codes in the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus 19 specifically, as an example, we see that holiness is thoroughly practical and social and down to earth and, and involves how we live our everyday lives. So if you look at Leviticus 19, these commands about holiness and purity and righteousness in the Old Testament, what does holiness look like? Well, again, it mentions things like, hey, honor your parents. Have an exclusive loyalty to God. Be generous. Care for the poor. Don't lie or steal. Uh, You need to love your neighbor. Don't rob people. You need to have economic integrity. You need to pay your employees. You need to care about those with disabilities. You need to practice judicial integrity in the legal system. You need to practice sexual integrity and purity. You need to not mistreat immigrants or ethnic minorities. You need to be honest in trade and commerce and business dealings. So you see just in in this short summary list that holiness is not some abstract concept removed from our daily lives. Church, we are called to be holy, which means in how we live and interact and treat people and do business and do our jobs, we are to look different from the world around us because we are the people of God and we do life His way. And friends, I feel that now more than ever, our nation, our world needs the church to look different. We need to demonstrate before the watching world how Christians, how followers of Jesus can can demonstrate a different way to live, a better way to live than what we're seeing now. Because friends, I know... This week has been discouraging. We look around at the events in Washington. We see the anger and the bitterness. We see the hypocrisy, frankly, on the right and the left. So many problems. And what the world needs to see is a church, followers of Jesus, that live up to this identity, to be a holy people, a holy nation that shows a different way. We're going to say our allegiance 
is not to a political party. Our allegiance is to King Jesus. And yes, we care about justice. That's not a word that is uh, like a modern Marxist thing. Justice is a biblical concept. Okay, so we as people of the Bible care about justice for the oppressed. We take racism seriously. And we will work for racial reconciliation. We as a people will have a heart for, for immigrants and for the poor. As the people of God, we will stand up for and fight for the unborn. We will reject pornography and condemn it and speak out against sexual sin. We will uphold God's design for marriage between a man and a woman. We care about truth, not conspiracy theories. We will be a people who practice forgiveness, gentleness, grace. We will be a people who seek out the lonely and those who are hard to love. And friends, if we do these things, that list I just mentioned, if we do each of those things, we will take shots from the right and from the left. Maybe as I was reading through that list, some of those things you were like, amen, and some of those things you were like, I don't like that so much. But each of those things are found in Scripture. But friends, we're not going to fit into people's categories because we're not supposed to. We're called to be a holy nation, a people who look different, who live different. A nation without geographic or ethnic borders because we're not united because of our commitment to our country or commitment to a certain tribe. Our unity comes through Christ. We're united in Christ and that crosses all other known barriers. And so church, let's live up to our calling to be a holy nation of people who look different and thus provide the world an alternative, another way of being human that's rooted in Christ. Lastly, verse 9, he says, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Love that. You're God's special possession, church. Exodus 19, where this is quoting from, reads, You shall be, God speaking to his people, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. I love this. I love this. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, everything in the world and beyond belongs to me. Okay, all people, all things, it all belongs to me. Now think about that. God owns then some pretty cool stuff. Okay, like everything. So shooting stars, corgis, really cute dogs, uh, Mount Everest, it's his. The Mariana Trench, in the Pacific Ocean. It's his. Niagara Falls. Grizzly bears. Chipotle. Espresso. <laughs> Amen. Uh, mountains. Rivers. Oceans. Every creature. Every corner of the universe. It's his. It doesn't all belongs to me. It's all my possession. But you. You, my people. You are my treasured possession. My special possession. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you, church, you, my people, you belong to me and you bring me joy in a way that nothing else does. 
I delight in you. What an amazing thing for God to say to us. And so notice through all this, Peter is saying, church, people of God, followers of Jesus, this is who you are. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And let me be clear, friends, this is not like an exclusive secret club that you have to like hang around and earn your way into and find a way to belong. God extends this invitation to whoever would believe. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. There's this invitation to come and trust to whoever would believe. Put your faith in Jesus. Turn from your sin. Follow him today. And all of this, all of these descriptors, all of these things will be true of you as you join the family of God. And if you're listening this morning and you're not sure what that looks like or where you're at with the Lord, I want to encourage you to just take a simple step. Uh, We have a resource here called a Gospel Intro. It's a 30-day guide to following Jesus and taking some initial steps. And so if you're like on the fence or you're like, I'm returning to this whole church thing after a while, I'm not really sure what it's about, or maybe I'm new to the church scene, or I don't even know, you know, maybe I've been around a while, but I don't even know where I'm at with the Lord. Uh, This Gospel Intro resource is kind of a self-guided time with some reading and some reflection questions and some journaling that you can do. We would love to just give that to you as a gift. Just put it in your hand. And so if that's you and you'd like a copy of that, uh, comment uh, on your connection card. Okay, in the top right of the screen, you can fill out that connection card. Let us know you're here and say, hey, we'd love a copy of the gospel intro. And we'd love to get a book in your hands and then a little pamphlet that goes with it to help you walk through that. So we see, friends, in this text, our identity as the people of God. Chosen, a priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. There's this incredible privilege that comes with knowing God, right? But we have to ask then, follow-up question, what's the purpose for our privilege? Right? Not just who are we, but then what are we supposed to do in light of that? This is back to where we started today. Okay, not just who we are, but now then that we know who we are, what are we supposed to be about and go and do? Look again at the text. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So friends, God has made you who you are so that you can go show the world who he is. What does he say? There's a purpose for your privilege. You are to what? Declare the praises of God. Okay, and this phrase there, it speaks of making known, like publishing abroad, distributing widely this truth of who God is. Tell people, show people, get the word out, be a witness to Christ. And have you ever noticed, like this just, this comes naturally to us. We've talked about this before, right? We, we just, we talk about things that we love, whether it's a TV show or uh, some new product or a Christmas gift we got or a new shirt or a new book, whatever it might be, we spread the word about things we love. I know some of you are listening, you're like, well, we'll spread the word, okay, for some people, but I, I'm, not, I'm not an evangelist. That's just not my gift. I'm not going to do that. Let's say, well, you're, you're an evangelist for that new restaurant in town that you love, right? You're an evangelist for that TV show that you love. 
Right? We, we, just, we all do this with things that we love. And so likewise, we all are called to share the gospel and the love of Jesus and the goodness of God with the world. And circling back to the, this idea of being a priesthood, right? we talked about the privilege of being priests, the access we have to God, but also priests had responsibilities in the Old Testament. They had to teach the people and bless the people and bring sacrifices for the people and intercede for the people. Author Christopher Wright put it this way, said the job of priests then was to bring God to the people and bring the people to God. So God says to Israel, as a whole people, you will be for me to all the rest of the nations what our priests are for you. Through you, I will become known to the world. And through you, ultimately, I will draw the world to myself. So that was true of the people of God in the Old Testament. And now Peter is saying in our passage, Christians, followers of Jesus, this is true of you. You are a royal priesthood. So we don't just exist to worship and to connect and to grow and enjoy God and enjoy one another. We do all those things, of course. But central to our life together is our call to go. There are good works God has called us to do here in Benicia. And so friends, we spent a lot of time today talking about who we are. Remember your identity. Who you are comes before what you do. Let's not get that reversed. But then once we realize who we are as the people of God, what are we to do? And we're going to spend the next five weeks unpacking what it means to go. We're going to remember what we're called to do as we have this series, Go Where You Are. Friends, I'm so excited. There's going to be opportunities for you to get involved, for you to take steps, and I'm eager to see how God uses it. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we we thank you for just the really jaw-dropping truths of this passage, that you look at us and you say, you are my special possession, you are my chosen people. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Lord, we did nothing to deserve these gifts. But we acknowledge that you have given them to us freely in Christ. So thank you for saving us, for rescuing us, for bringing us into your family. And we pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, equip us, and mobilize us in the weeks ahead to declare your praises, to make you known here in Benicia and beyond. We love you. Amen. Amen.